Welcome to Occupy Today, the marriage of spirituality and activism. I'm Simon. I'm Sophie. I'm Scott. I'm Leah. I'm Jermaine. I'm Michelle. And today's topic is adoption. Yay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I want to ask Scott and Sophie, they're in the process <laughs> of some amazing amazing news and tell us a little bit about your story yeah tell us what you've done (laughs) what had happened yeah so we um you went down to walmart and bought some embryos (laughs) 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 so we always knew we wanted to adopt and um three of my siblings are adoptees so i always knew you had babies in your tummy or not or you know and so after Olive, we were going to adopt um, domestically, and we went to an adoption agency, and there just weren't very many expectant moms making adoption plans. And so they talked to us about other options, and there's, of course, international adoption and foster to adopt, and we really wanted to bring home an infant, and so they told us about embryo adoption. Which is... You're to pick it up? Yeah. Embryo adoption is uh, when someone goes through the process of in vitro fertilization or IVF and they have leftover embryos after they've created their family. Uh, many people don't know um, what their options are with their remaining embryos. Um, so most people end up just discarding the embryos, just literally washing them down the sink. Um, I'd, say, I'd say people who um, maybe want to consider like the greater good um what they end up doing is um donating the embryos to medical research where drugs and um you know um assisted fertilization type stuff studies happen on the embryos but they are guaranteed to die that way um and so you know it's kind of a sad or they just don't make a plan they just leave them frozen and um, just disappear basically um so there's, they say there's upwards of a million frozen embryos sitting on shelves right now. Um, but another option is to either um, uh, create to make a to make a plan for your embryos to um, give them to a family who's looking to add to their family. Some people do this through the clinic where they did their uh, IVF, um, and so a lot of clinics will have um, if somebody's eggs or sperm are not viable, they can get embryos that are just basically up for grabs for lack of a better term um, those are typically almost always those are done anonymously um, so you don't know anything about the genetic family or you can choose to use an adoption agency and there's a couple that specialize in embryo adoption um, where it's more of a traditional um, type adoption where there's a home study and a profile and um, a, 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 matching. a matching phase where families get to choose the family where the embryos go. So we chose to do that. Um, yeah, so we were matched with a family who had twins already and probably were overwhelmed and said, <laughs> I can't imagine having more kids. Um, and they, you know, their conscience wouldn't let them just sit on the embryos. Um, so many of these families go through such a journey to get the embryos that then the thought of, well, now what? As they sit there, embryos don't have a shelf life. They never go bad. Uh, we're at the phase in, in the whole journey where 
babies are being born to women who were not yet alive when the babies were conceived. Wow. Um, you know, and that's going to continue. And more and more of those types of situations are going to happen because embryos can be frozen indefinitely. Now, how far along is the embryo when it's adopted? So it just depends on where the um, reproductive endocrinologist chose to do the freezing, or actually it's probably an embryologist. Um, most, I think, are around a day five embryo. So ours were day five, day six blastocysts. But you can also freeze at any stage, day one, day two, day three. Um, or typically day three or day five. Mm-hmm. What's so. the latest that they would ever consider doing that? I think right now they freeze by day six yeah. if they're going okay. to freeze. Um, but I don't, I don't know yeah. the yeah, science behind that. Um, yeah. So actually, in, so it's called embryo adoption. It's actually under contract law because embryos are viewed as property. So, um, so it's interesting. There will be, there's um, like legal property contracts that we have for the embryos, but there won't be any adoption paperwork. Where, oh, wow. right, where typically in an um, adoption, there's adoption paperwork and finalization after the birth mother gives birth. Um, but in the state of Indiana, the birth mother is whoever... I was about to say you are the right. birth mother. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah, so actually she'll be the biological mother. So there's all, all new language, too. Yeah. So it's not, yeah. it's not bio mom anymore. It's genetic. Yeah. Genetic family, first okay, family. Yes. But yeah. Now, now you said that they, you know, this family, or, or mm-hmm. now, do you plan on keeping in touch with them? Yeah. yeah. So you can. Okay. When you set up your profile, um, both families make profiles, so you can say which level of contact you want and how much openness you want. Um, but I would say, broader, broadly speaking, in adoption, you know, um, it's quite widely accepted now that. Um, the adoptions of the past, the closed adoptions, are are really, yes. really damaging yes. um, for, for everybody everyone. involved. So they talk about the adoption triad. So the adoptee and the birth family and then the adoptive family. So that a closed adoption is not good for anybody, anybody in the triad. Yeah. So really, the agencies are really pushing people towards considering some level of openness, not having to like go on vacation together. But at least, especially because the, the children born to these families will be full genetic siblings of each other. Um, and there's the philosophy that they deserve to have access to their, um, well, number one, their medical history. Right. Um, but number two, you know, the other members of their genetic family, um, closing that off to them against, you know, if it's not their choice, it doesn't feel quite right. So maybe they'll choose to not. You know, in the very first snow, they call them snowflake babies. The very first baby um, born this way, she's in college right now. Her name is Hannah. And she has a, she, they, she knows who her uh, genetic family is, but it, you know, they've tried to make some connections and it just isn't something that seems mm-hmm. like everybody's really comfortable with. And then there's other families who become vacation partners. Yeah. They, you know, travel around. And together, we said, so. we've seen that even with my own siblings, some of my siblings have a very strong connection with their birth families and some of them don't at all and don't want that and so it's like we don't know what his personality is going to be he may want that or not but we want it available if he does yeah 
That was no. good. That was going to be my next question to you because you come from a blended family like right. that, and what that journey has been like for you. Right. Um, so it's interesting. In a way, I feel really fortunate because there will be things like I don't know what it's like to be an adoptee, and so I'm so glad that I have. You know, our kids will have aunt and un- aunts and uncles who know like. Yeah, I know what you're feeling right now. This is, you know, this mm-hmm. is hard. This is good. Um, yeah, it, it's been it's been fun because I feel like it's been a blend of we can draw on our family's knowledge having walked this road before, but then it's also our own story because it it is with embryos. Um, so, yeah. Just out of curiosity, okay, so you have adoption in your family. What about you, Scott? No. Nobody? Not that I know okay. of. What about you, Leah? I do. My, I have a couple, but my the closest is my aunt, um, my, fa- my father's sister. She got pregnant in high school and actually didn't know she was pregnant until she was about five months pregnant. And then when she found out, my grand- my grandfather and my grandmother were very, very strict and the thought of their daughter being pregnant, not married, obviously, she's 16, was like a horror to them and to the whole family, so they hit it. My mother was around at that point. She didn't know she was pregnant until she gave birth, till the day that she had the baby, and they had already set up the adoption and everything, and my mom was like, she was pregnant? (laughs) (laughs) They hit it that well, because my parents lived in my grandparents' backyard, so it was... They saw her every day, and they hit it that well wow. that nobody knew that she was pregnant but her, mm. their his parents, and the baby's parents. So when they gave the baby up for adoption, it was just not spoke of ever again until I think I was 17, went out to California for our summerly visit. They were like, your cousin Janae's here. And I was like, who is Janae? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, so your Aunt Angela had a baby back in mm. blah, blah, blah. I was like, what? But... I mean, when mm-hmm. I saw her, I was like, my gosh, because she literally looks mm-hmm. just like my aunt. They talk alike. They're both very musical. Um, but she, they have a very close relationship now, but it took some time for them to build up that relationship mm-hmm. because there was questions, obviously. Why was I giving up? What happened? You know, all of the questions like that. And my aunt and her are very close, but she still has her parents that she adores and that are her parents because they, they took her when... She seemingly wasn't wanted, but after talking to my aunt, obviously, and realizing that it was not a situation where you weren't wanted, it was a situation where it, she didn't feel like she had any other options at the time. Now, were your grandparents still alive when this reunion happened? Yes. So what was their reaction to it? I honestly, my grandfather was ecstatic. He was very happy to have all his grandkids around, and he was, my grandmother was happy as well, so I don't know what the conversation was mm-hmm. when she was found or leading up to her contacting my aunt. I really don't know how they reacted at the, you know, hey, we're reunifying the family situation. I don't know what their reaction was, but I know that the whole summer that we spent there, I mean, it was just like a gigantic family reunion. Everybody was just really happy to see her and the fact that she looks like the rest of us and it, she felt the same way. She was like, wow, we all have the same head. So I was like, yeah, that's a fault. You can't get away from that. <laughs> So it's definitely a situation where I felt blessed to see her and we have a relationship through Facebook and 
she's always like, look at my cousins, they're so cute. And I'm like, yeah, they have that giant fog head too. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's good to know that she doesn't harbor any, Mm. you know, that she was able to get whatever she needed to from my aunt. And she feels good about their relationship and her and her father are close as well. I mean, it's, it was a cleansing situation, I believe, for Mm. my aunt to be able to see her and touch her and tell her this wasn't, this was not my plan. This right. was this was something else. But I'm happy that you were able to. She because she lives a great life. Her parents were able to give her everything, and she went to Spelman. She graduated with honors. I mean, she's a musician. She's happy. She's healthy. I don't know if she would have had the same situation had she been raised with probably forced marriage. I don't know. How do you force somebody to get married when you're 16? I don't know exactly what that would have looked like. So right. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. What about you, Jermaine? Um, yeah, I have, uh, uh, I don't know. It's kind of a blend between step parents and step grandparents and, mm-hmm. and half siblings and everything like that. Um, uh, because my dad, um, he had he has a half sister because when his mother my biological grandmother um uh, divorced from his dad she remarried had uh my aunt paula and the thing of it is is that you know i i guess i it took me a long time to put two and two together they parents didn't say anything they were like oh thought you would figure that out well you had three grandmothers so (laughs) Mm -hmm. um nobody said anything i mean they were just they were just like okay you're going to three houses at christmas okay i get three presents it works um but out of all of my grandparents the one i was closest to is the one that adopted you know my dad and I mean and she never had any kids of her own she had a bunch of nieces and nephews but that's kind of the person that I saw God in the first uh, for the first time in my life and I mean I preached her eulogy uh, back mm-hmm. actually 10 years ago, it was 10 years ago. Um, and um, that is kind of the story that, that I was telling is about the spirit of adoption because that's all that's the only thing she cared, cared about was the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Everyone that walked in her house, she treated like one of her kids. And it's just kind of like, man, that's that's the way mm-hmm. God is with us. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that as a Christian you can be any different or have any harbor any ill will towards adoption when God has adopted us. Mm-hmm. So that's that's as far as in my family that's that's where it was. I mean my all of my grandparents had their own set of issues but really with my grandmother she was she was really just it. Mm-hmm. And I literally did not know that that was not his biological mother. <laughs> Until, I believe, until she died. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, what? She didn't give birth to him? Okay. Because that's just, I mean, that was his mom. 
And I'm sure and he called his other mom, his, his biological mother, mom. But Maddie mm-hmm. was his mother because yeah. she was his mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you do too, right, Michelle? Yes. Uh, um, my my dad is, adopted me when I was 12. Um, I don't have a relationship with my biological father. Um, interestingly enough, at the adoption hearing, uh, the the attorney, we were, we were waiting outside for paperwork or whatnot, and the attorney was talking to my mom and just going through the matter-of-fact questionnaire things and, he goes, and, and the other children at the time, you know, they, uh, they had just gotten married um, about a year before. And, um, and my mom starts playing with my hair and I'm waiting for her to say, yeah, no, no, this is my only child. And she doesn't, and she keeps playing with my hair, and I'm like, hello, you don't, you don't have any other kids. <laughs> and then she tells, and the attorney suddenly, he goes from this, looking down, to suddenly looking like, oh, I think I probably asked the wrong question <laughs> yeah. in the wrong space. And my mom tells him that she had another daughter. And so we leave that, uh, I remember walking through the parking lot, and in my mind, having this conversation going, now is the time where the preteen <laughs> child goes, I can never trust you again, melodramatically, and runs into the sunset. Or you go, life happens, things are weird, and then you go, please tell me about this person. You know, and, right. and that's the course of action that I chose to take. And so my mom told me about uh, my sister, and, and she had named her Penny Ann and uh, put her up for adoption. Uh, it was it was at the time where when you found out you were pregnant, she was in high school, that you got sent away. Yeah. And uh, so she was sent away to a school for unwed moms and has this baby, holds her, puts her an outfit on her. I mean, it's like, and then that's it. Um, and then never talked about it. And, and her parents never talked about it and when I talked to my aunts they vaguely remember it but it's like you know it's kind of like a dream sequence type well of yeah yeah and and yeah you just it, it doesn't exist which is interesting because my mom just finished reading a book about women during that that time where it's almost like this uh, post-traumatic stress thing because you're not allowed to talk about it yeah. it doesn't exist and you feel like you're gaslighted it's like mm. it's like um and so she I don't think until that attorney had asked her that she'd even really spent much time beyond, you know, going, well, at some point I'll have to tell Michelle, but when is going to be the right time, you know, over, you know, mini weeks or something? I don't think so. So anyway, um, I go through with the adoption with my dad, Larry, and even at that time, because I had known him, he was, he was a friend, and... Um, and I remember very much feeling like, well, you're not my dad, you know, kind of thing. And to his credit, he never forced me to call him dad. So I called mm-hmm. him Larry for probably a good year. Now, to anybody else outside, I would say, oh, yeah, that's my dad. Mostly because it just wasn't worth the headache right. of the story. Um, but because he was so gentle and he never pushed any of that. Um, I had my issues where there was a couple of times where I got in trouble and he was the one that disciplined me. And, and that was a big issue. Um, but because he was always so loving, it's like I got over that. Mm-hmm. And then I remember when I started to to call him dad, and and uh, and it was a really sweet thing. Um, then 
probably through my teenage years, I'd talked a little bit about my sister. It wasn't until, um, gosh, now eight years ago, seven years ago, that we decided we're going to try and find her. And so my mom and I started, I, I found somebody who did kind of some private investigation and they, they um, were able to locate her family. Um, interestingly enough, and I'll let Simon kind of talk a little bit about how adoption affected his life, but because of, mm. of his mom's experience in being an adoptive mm. parent, um, I was very sensitive to not wanting to just call the parents and go, hey, I'm here, I wanna meet your child. Yeah. Um, and and so I got in touch with one of the siblings. And as a matter of fact, I talked to the sibling's wife. And um, and I said, you know, this is who I am. And, and if she's interested in contacting us, I would love that, uh, here's my number. And I think within a half hour, she was on the phone with me, my sister was. I was blown away because I thought I'd have to go through layers and layers. Right. And um, and my mom, to this day, still has, she recorded the voice message that I left her because I'm trying to call my mom going, guess who I got on the phone with? And and it went straight into voicemail. So I was like, mom, mom, get off the phone. <laughs> um, but we we found her and we she and I, my mom and I drove into Oklahoma to to see her. And the sad thing was that shortly after we located her, she found out that she had breast cancer. So she was in the middle of chemo when we arrived. And I remember parking the car, and we could see at the door somebody coming up to the door. My mom was getting out of the door and very nervous. And then the person in the doorway walked back. And my mom would say that at that moment she was scared to death that mm -hmm. the person saw her and like, oh, I don't want to see this person anymore. Mm -hmm. But what the truth of it was is it was her husband coming to the door. She was in the chair and she said, no, 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 I don't want to be seated when they get here. I want you to help me to stand mm -hmm. up. So he turned around to help her stand up. And uh, when we got in there, it's like I was blown away at how much she looked like my mom but also how much I realized I looked like my biological father because I'd never been mm. able to determine what was me, what was her, you know, all that. Um, so that was interesting. And uh, um, I was there for when uh, we met their family and then she took a turn for the worse. And, and I was there a week before she died. Mm. And, um, and... It was hard because I felt like I'd just gotten to know her. And then um, that was it. But uh, her family was, was just wonderful. And we, we met her, her adopted parents, and they showed us the scrapbooks and yeah. albums and cool. stuff. And, and uh, yeah, it was. I think it's so important. I want to make sure Simon gets to share, but you mentioned that about, like, when to tell, right? And so, like. What we think is super important in the adoption world is like the answer is always early and often mm. over and over yeah. like you start we've already talked the 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 first minute that baby is in our arms we have to tell them this is your story because if you keep putting it off how will you say it yeah. mm -hmm. you know sophie's mom talks about her throat closing up as she's rocking the baby in the rocking chair this baby does not understand but she couldn't will it to come out of her mouth Right, so it's it's early and often, over and over. It's not a one time thing. It's a it's yeah. it's the culture of your family. We talk about it all yeah. the time. You were chosen. So, that's right. right. 
So, tell him the other weird story. Which one is that? <laughs> when she passed. Oh, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I need you to, to explain about how adoption affected your life. And we're out of time. Plenty <laughs> <laughs> of time for you. Exactly. Don't. The perfect amount of time. Um, okay, so I was about seven years old, and my parents, I went through infertility problems, miscarriages, and this has been happening for obviously a, a while. And so they decided to adopt. And most of the time, you go to the store, you get the little baby, you bring the little baby home. My parents decided not to do that. Um, they went to um, one of the, I mean, for better word, orphanage. Um, it was a home, children's home run by the Church of England. And went through sort of their screening process. And also, you know, they're looking at the kids who they think I'd get on with and they'd get on with and stuff. And at that point, the children's home went up to five years old. And then after five, I'm not exactly sure what happens to them. But basically, they took the oldest one. And he was about to start school. Um, and uh, came home. Um, and I remember they, they sort of give you trials where you can borrow. You can borrow a little brother for a night or a weekend or something. And I just remember there was one day we had to take him back um, to the home. And he screamed, clawed, bit, did not want to go back. And it was, I've never ever seen anybody kind of like react like that before. Um, suffice to say, the next time we picked him up, he stayed. Right. And I think that was part of, um, part of that. There was a few other things I was going to say and my mind's kind of gone blank. So um, you're two years older than him? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, we, he, he was able to, you know, start, start in, uh, well, be elementary school or I guess it would be kindergarten. Um, so we went, went, went to the same schools and then I think when, and then in England, when you turn 11, they have this thing called the 11 plus and if they give you a test and you sort of go on different tracks depending on whether you're academic or whether you're technical and, uh. And it's basically, and it's basically, they screen you for university, and he ended up on the technical track, and I ended up on the academic track, which didn't do me a lot of good either. <laughs> <laughs> Did he know his his story? His yeah, that was something that we found out over a long period of time, and. Really, it wasn't something until he was in his 20s mm. that he went and found out who his biological parents were. And their story was basically 
they were madly in love, they had him, but his parents basically said, we're going to um, disinherit you and cut you off from the family fortune because, you know, of, of the situation. And so basically the biological dad chose the family fortune over hmm. over him and the his mother. I, I do remember, though, talking with your mom around the time that your brother was looking for his biological family. And um, she told me, she says, you know, they have books uh, for people who are looking for their biological family. They have books to the to the biological parents and all that. She goes, but they don't have any books at the time to the adoptive parents yeah. on what it means. And she's, so she really wrestled with, like, our, will our grandson still be our grandson? Right. Will this still be yeah. the same? You know, and and it was, I, I just remember looking in her eyes and, and seeing just the, the, kind of the fear and the sadness of, of being displaced. Right. And, and even though that was not at all the case, right. but because it was still relatively new in this, I mean, we, we, it's amazing even uh, in the last 10, 20 years. And, and, because, it, and because it came yeah. from, the, you know, the closed adoption society. Right, right. Um, there was the skeletons that came out of the closet. There was the skeletons of the fact that there was a closet. There were yeah. all this stuff, and everybody's wrestling with it. I mean, fortunately, when most of this happened, we were, we were, we were married and over here. So I didn't have to. And I never met his biological mum until last year, which kind of annoyed me because I thought, well, at least, you know, I met, I'd met his, his biological siblings. Um, but... Uh, yeah, but definitely I think that's... I, I would credit that experience with giving me the sensitivity for, for me yeah. and my, my family, so... And as far as my biological dad, I don't know anything about him except my mom had said he was a, a keyboard player in a band. And uh, <laughs> oddly enough, he... And that he had an album. And I, uh, for years, I thought oh, it would be great to find the album because there was a picture on it of, of the band. And... Oddly enough, they had done some re-releases of some albums, and they had a CD. So I ordered it, but even just seeing it, I was able to highlight it on the computer and looked at it, and it was the weirdest feeling because it was always just that empty hole. Like, okay, I don't know where I came from. Once I saw the picture, I remember I went into your office, and I, I think I just sat on your lap and cried for easily a half hour. Deep sobs. And it wasn't that I was lacking anything in a father because my dad was that to me it was this i now know where i came from and that was closed and there was a closure to it so i'm excited that like that your child is going to know their story and be fully integrated into that so i think we've hopefully as a society matured beyond the closed adoption mm -hmm. shame yeah, cycle right. um and I think, I'll be honest, I think the reason why there are advocates for abortion is because of the shame cycle of adoption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we haven't, as a society, reconciled that even. So, no. right. And that just about wraps it up. <laughs> Anybody have anything else? Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.